today we're going to discuss Unity's recent pricing changes. Hey everyone, hope you're doing well. Welcome to the 78th episode of the Game Dev Field Guide. I'm your host, Zaccavelli. You can find me on Twitter at underscore Zaccavelli underscore or tune in for Game Dev streams at twitch.tv slash Zaccavelli underscore. We also have an open community discord that's free for anyone to join. There's an invite link for that in the show notes. If you'd like to become a patron and vote on episode topics, as well as get some other benefits like a exclusive role in the Discord, there is a link to that also in the show notes. And I just wanted to apologize quickly. Uh, the patron-picked episode for this month will actually come next month as, uh, yeah, I wanted to squeeze in this current event episode. It was kind of a timely topic, so... I inserted that one into the schedule, uh, which just means that the patron-picked episode will come uh, next episode. And lastly, I wanted to apologize for the release schedule as of late. It's just been really spaced out. And the truth is that I have just had a really busy last month. And now that it is announced, I can say why. The game I work on for my day job called Galactic Civilizations for Supernova, will be coming out this Thursday, October 19th. It's in early access now, so you can go get it on Steam if you'd like. But yeah, the big launch day is this Thursday, the 19th, and I've been working, well, me and the rest of my team, and everyone at our company has been working really hard on getting this thing ready for release. And so, yeah, this week's going to be a big week for me. I'm really excited. This is my first uh, AAA credit. And, yeah, I got to work on some really cool stuff and work with some really talented people for this. So, yeah. So if you're interested in the 4X sort of turn-based strategy genre, go, um, go check it out. Anyways, with the intro out of the way, let's move on over to the first segment of the show. And the first segment of the show today is going to be Buff Debuff. That is something we haven't played in a long time, and I have a lot to catch up on. But if you're unfamiliar with what Buff Debuff is, people from the community post one word or one sentence topics um, in our community discord and then I tell you just off the top of my head whether or not I think they're buffed meaning good or debuffed meaning I think it's kind of a negative thing or at least trending down. I don't really do any research on these a lot of this is just <laughs> the first thoughts that come to my mind so take everything I say with a grain of salt but yeah we got a big list today so I'm going to move pretty quickly through this. Okay our first topic is guest characters. I'm going to say guest characters are, I don't know, slightly buffed, I guess. I'll, I'm not really in a position to have a game with guest characters. This is kind of a thing that happens for, I would say, bigger games that, you know, have attractive licenses. Now, I have seen some sort of cross-pollination between smaller indie games, um, whether putting their games into bundles or, like, taking one character from one game to the other. And yeah, I think it's good for that scenario where you have two audiences that would benefit from finding out about the other game or IP. And so you kind of do that crossover thing. But I think it's not uh, a very realistic situation that most of us will have the opportunity to be in. So it'd be cool if it'll happen, but it's probably not going to, therefore slightly buffed. Next is celebrity appearances in-game. Again, I'm going to put this at slightly buffed, kind of for the same exact reasons. It would be really cool to have that, but unless you're working on a AAA game, you probably will not be able to afford the likeness of the celebrity. So, yeah, it's cool, but probably not something that's realistic for solo indie devs. For that, it's slightly buffed. Okay, now this one kind of comes with a, a context. 3D animation versus 2D animation, which is easier? I think 3D animation is 
harder to pull off, um, but is easier to automate, if that makes sense. Whereas 2D animation is a little bit easier to make, but harder to work on. Does that make sense? Like you're going to spend more time doing 2D animations, I think, but 3D animations are harder to do. Maybe that's just in my limited experience. I use a lot of like automation stuff when I do 3D animations like uh, inverse kinematics. That's kind of where the animations are more guided by mathematical equations. So you don't really have to do all the animating. Whereas in 2D, you kind of have to do all the animating. So I find that I usually take longer to do 2D animations, but my 2D animations end up looking better than my 3D ones because there's so much talent uh, that's required to make 3D animations look good. So yeah, I hope that uh, clears that up and answers your question. Next is mark and execute mechanics. This would be something you see like in Red Dead or Splinter Cell. The idea here is, is that you don't actually um, pull the trigger for every enemy. You kind of like go into this mark mode where you just paint all of your targets and then you press the trigger once and your character does like a super cool action movie thing and shoots all the targets that you painted. This mechanic is super buffed. I really like this mechanic. I think it would be awesome to make a Trigun game with this mechanic. I think Trigun is one of my favorite anime. And if I ever get in the position to make a game or like I can get a hold of that IP to make a game, I'm making a Trigun game with a mark and execute mechanic. The next topic is reusing art and mechanics between different games. This is buffed. This is how you iterate on an idea, basically. You're, this is basically, should you iterate ideas? <laughs> okay, it's a little bit more complex than that, but this is iteration, right? You're reusing the art and mechanics, and maybe every time you tweak uh, something about it a little bit, right? Like, I, I didn't really love the art in that last one, or it was good, but there was a few things that I didn't like. Maybe I can do it faster, or maybe this looks better. And mechanics... Um, you know, the goes out to the players and they really like it except for this one thing. And so the next time you build the game with that mechanic, you make that one thing better. I think reusing art and mechanics between different games um, is buffed. It's something that a lot of indie devs do. It's something that a lot of all game developers do. Some do better jobs of hiding it than others, but I don't even think it's something you should hide. I just think that is how game development works, and for that, it's buffed. Next is leaving animations and effects for the end of the game, uh, meaning the end of the game like in your game development cycle. I'm going to say that I used to do it this way, but now that I do it a different way, I'm going to say this is slightly debuffed, actually. I used to wait to polish the game, like visually polish with animations and effects last, I used to white box everything, and then at the end, I would make it look cool. But with my most recent game, I made it uh, look good first. I kind of went with an art-first game development uh, cycle, and that's it. that includes animations and effects. And someone, um, I can't remember where I heard this, but someone, I think it was in my Twitch chat once, uh, but I was talking about getting a vertical slice ready, and I was like, well, should I do the animations and effects for my vertical slice. And someone said, a slice of cake has frosting too. Meaning you put all the extras in your slice of cake because that's a true vertical slice. Extras included and polish included. So yeah, for now, what I've been doing and what I think I'll continue to do going forward is doing a pretty close to final animation and effect from the very beginning and starting with that art-first game development cycle. Okay, next is non-game apps made in a game engine. I think this is slightly buffed, but I want to leave a caveat here. It's the only way how I know how to make anything. So <laughs> even if I was going to make a non-game app, I would still make it make using Unity uh, because that's the only thing I know how to use. And I think it's always a good thing to use the tools that you know. So if it's all you know, then yeah, sure. Make a non-game app with a game engine. Next is rage games like Jump King, Getting Over It, or Only Up. 
I don't know how I feel about these. I guess I would say slightly buffed just based on their popularity. There's clearly something that players like about them. I uh, I don't know. I think they would be really boring to develop personally. I look at something like Only Up and it's just kind of placing assets and jumping puzzles, but they're not really jumping puzzles. They're more just like random jumping pass. It would be it would be boring for me to design. It's not something that I would love to design. It's something that I kind of like playing. I would say of all these all the games in this genre, my favorite is Super Monkey Ball, which I'm not really sure is a rage game. I'm not sure what to call it. But uh, there are times when I just want to play Super Monkey Ball with my friends, uh, stay up till like 2 in the morning just trying to beat all the crazy hard courses, trying over and over again, just barely getting the ball to roll in the right direction. I don't know if that kind of is the same feeling that people get with these, but I don't really enjoy playing these games. I don't think I would enjoy making them, but there's no denying their popularity and success, and for that, they're slightly buffed. Next, we get adding political messages. I think I have done this topic a bunch of times. Um, I always say that it is buffed, but you have to do it right. And there's one way, there's a trap where I think it really goes wrong when adding a political message. I think it can go really wrong when you do it super ham-fisted and, um, I don't know, it just comes off like really corny. I think about political messages in movies, actually, a lot about this. And when you're watching a movie that clearly is just trying to, like, force a message to you, like they don't think you're smart enough to (laughs) figure it out. That, I think, feels really bad, and I think it feels even worse in video games because you're, like, interacting with it. But I think there is even deeper potential for exploring societal issues or something like that in video games because you are in, you have to, it's an interactive medium. And the distinction between being, like, super ham-fisted with it or making it a really deep thing that is kind of makes hopefully makes a player like introspective and think about their own position. I think how you do that is with a little bit of nuance, right? If you just present one idea and say this is exactly how it is, then whoever's playing the game is going to take it at face value, and whether they agree or don't agree, um, they're just going to see it only on the surface level in like sort of knee-jerk reaction to it right away. But if you take it one level deeper and make them ask a question about the message, like, is this really what that means? Or is this really what I believe? Or something like that. Maybe show the other side of the argument. I think then we get into really interesting discussions about art and approaching maybe these deeper messages. So, yeah, I will say it's buffed, but you got to do it the right way. Next topic is photo mode. I think photo mode in games are buffed. You're going to need it to make cool screenshots anyways. So you might as well make some kind of photo mode for yourself as a developer just to take cool screenshots. And then for like a little bit of work, you can give it to the players and then they can make cool screenshots. It's just a win-win for everybody. Photo mode definitely buffed. Games as education tools. I think um, this is buffed, but maybe not the way that you're thinking. I think games already are education tools, actually. And this could probably be a whole other topic, but I'm a little bit saddened by what I see kids playing games uh, now because they're not the same as the games that I played when I was a kid. And the games that I played when I was a kid were very formative in my education. Like, I learned to read because JRPGs have so much frickin' text. (laughs) You have to read or you're going to have no idea what's going on. I learned world history from Age of Empires and Empire Earth. I learned how to script and code in the custom map editors for those games. I learned teamwork and communication, playing uh, shooting games with my friends. I think there are a lot of educational lessons to be learned from the games that I played growing up as a kid. I mean, even just like math, like learning how to add and multiply things like in Diablo, the difference between an additive multiplier and a 
exponential multiplier. These games may not have been uh, made with the explicit goal of teaching me how to learn those things, but I was so engrossed in them, I just learned because I wanted to play them. And I think it was like a, an excitement first, uh, which then got me to learn, right? It hooked me into learning. I think games these days for kids, um, they're more like attention fixers, right? There's not really any math or problem solving in them. It's more like click this thing and wait. At least that's what I've seen on phones and tablets and stuff like that. So that's, a, that's another, I guess, side conversation. That's not really what this topic was about, but it is something I wanted to talk about. At some point, maybe I'll give a deeper position on that, but games as education are some kind of third category, right? And maybe they don't have to be a third category. Uh, I'm, I'm thinking about them like aimed at children or for middle school to high school age people, but I think there can be games as education for adults too. And I honestly think a lot of games already are kind of just goes back to what I was saying. Like you play a civilization game and all of a sudden you are learning about these world cultures that you probably, some of them you had no idea even existed. I think an important part of education is having an excitement thing or building an exciting thing for it. Um, not just learning for learning sake. And so, yeah, for me, I think games strictly as education are maybe a little bit debuffed, but if you get that initial hook right, um, they're buffed, and I think there are games as education already out there you just didn't even know you were learning, which I think is maybe one of the best uh, ways of doing it. Next topic is mixing pixel art with realistic graphics. This is buffed. I'm already doing it for my game right now. It's a art style that I really, really love. If you want to come see me work on a game with this art style, go on over to twitch.tv slash Zachavelli underscore. Slideshow opening sequences? I'm not really sure what that means. I guess I would just say slightly debuffed. Uh, it sounds like it'd be a really slow start, and the start of the game is going to be really important. Your first, like, 30 seconds, someone's going to form an opinion on your game in the first 30 seconds. So if you're showing slideshows, that might not be the best thing to do. Next is Couch Co-op. I think Couch Co-op is it's buffed for console games. I see a lot of indie uh, PC games trying to do the Couch Co-op thing. And yeah, I just don't know if that's the right setting for it. For console games, it's buffed, but um, I don't know. If you're already making an indie PC game as a solo indie dev, maybe skip the couch co-op as a feature. Next topic is excessive swearing. I think it is... Uh, I wish there was a neutral. I'm going to guess it is... Okay, I'm going to say it's slightly debuffed, excessive swearing. I think um, in the right context, in the right kind of game with the right tone... It probably works, but I feel like a lot of people uh, maybe maybe don't know what the right tone is, and so it's really easy to like overdo it and miss the mark with it, but it can fit in the right circumstances. Reaching out to local arcades to get your game on the floor. I'm going to say this is a buffed idea, but I'm not sure the actual execution of this. I'm not sure how open local arcades would be to this idea. So yeah, kind of a cop-out answer, but <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I've never heard of that. I've never even considered that. Okay, we're moving along. We're moving along. Just a few more. I'm just trying to play a little bit of catch-up here. Uh, historical games. Historical games are buffed for the educational reasons that I mentioned earlier. Video games into movies. Uh, prior to 2000 and, I don't know, 20... Video games into movies was a terrible idea, but lately it's been good, so I'll say that's buffed. Negative feedback loops. Um, that one's buffed, uh, debuffed. Yeah, it's debuffed. There's a certain few ways I can think of to use it to, in a game. Uh, maybe like if you wanted an extra punishing mode or something like that, but I think in most cases it's just not going to be fun. You're going to have to navigate it very... Um, precisely if you're going to do a negative feedback loop and have the game still be fun is twitter blue worth it uh i don't know what that website is it's called x <laughs> uh 
Just kidding. Is Twitter blue worth it? Uh, probably not. No. Uh, debuffed. Peer criticism versus pro criticism. I'm going to say pro criticism. Uh, man, this is hard. I'm going to say peer criticism is slightly buffed and pro criticism is slightly debuffed. The only reason I say that is you're probably undervaluing uh stuff from your peers and probably overvaluing things from pros not meaning everything uh it's not meaning to say everything your peers say is right and everything pros say is wrong but i think just subconsciously we all say uh well that person is really really good look at all the stuff they've done and we way overvalue their stuff because i don't know just because it worked once doesn't mean it's going to work again or how much does this pro really know about what you're doing? Don't get me wrong. If you get a pro game developer to uh, look at your stuff and they say some things, you should probably take most of it into account, but take it with a grain of salt. On the other hand, if you have peers, maybe you are a beginner game dev and you have another person who's learning how to become a game dev with you, they might not know everything, and maybe you should take their criticism definitely with a grain of salt. You definitely should because, you know, they don't, they are just as new as you are. But maybe there are some things that they're talking about that is true because they can relate more to what you're doing. They relate more to your position. So, yeah, peer criticism slightly buffed, pro criticism slightly, I'm talking 0.001% debuffed. All right, that was a super long buff debuff, but we haven't played it in like four or five months. So I'm happy that we did that. I'm happy we got through a bunch of topics. I'm sorry it's been so long. We usually do them on guest episodes, and I just haven't had time to schedule guests in a really long time. So yeah, I'll revisit buff debuff here in the near future. But let's move on to the next segment of the show. The next segment of the show is a current events segment. And usually these current event episodes, something big, I don't know, in the game dev world happens. It usually has to do with Unity (laughs) for some reason. In fact, the only two current event episodes we've ever done have both been on Unity making a misstep. So yeah, maybe we should just, this is like a a reverse sponsor. (laughs) But anyways, today's episode is going to be a current event style episode on the recent Unity pricing changes. And if you're in the game dev space, you no doubt have heard of this. You probably have seen many game dev content creators, studios, indie devs, etc. come out with statements about it. And if you're in our Discord or tune into my game dev streams, you probably already know where I personally stand on the issue. And we'll get into my stance a little later, but I just wanted to talk about what the point of this episode is. Although I will state my opinion, Um, This isn't going to be like a persuasion piece. Usually with stuff like that, I just put out all the facts and let you decide for yourself. But I think the facts have been pretty well trodden now by the game dev community. Most people know where they stand on the issue already. And so yeah, today's episode's not going to be like a persuasion piece and we're not really going to go through all of the agreements and the facts and all that stuff. What I want you to walk away with today's episode is maybe a wider view, a larger context, and maybe a more long-term understanding of what's ahead. After all, choosing what tools to learn or what engine to use is normally a long-term decision. And hopefully when you're considering Unity, you remember some things from this episode that I think you should consider when choosing. So yeah, I'm not going to get into every detail, but maybe I do want to do a quick summary on what happened, where the price changes stand now, and I'll state my opinion. Then for the next part, we can talk about the wider context. So first, let's review the initial announcement. On September 12th, Unity announced that they were going to change their pricing model, and included in this new pricing model was the idea of charging a runtime fee. This runtime fee was going to be based on installs of a game that you made with Unity, not downloads, not sales, but installs. Now, included with the announcement was a table, and the table displayed all the different license levels of Unity, Uh, You know, like the free personal version, pro, enterprise, etc. 
And the table was actually really confusing at first, and we'll talk about that in a second. But yeah, the big thing that was missed by a lot of people from the table is that there's two conditions that have to be met for you to start being charged per install. The first was a revenue threshold. For free users, it was $200,000, and for pro or higher, I think it was $1 million. And the second threshold was an install threshold. That threshold started at 200,000 installs. The idea is you would pay per install after both those conditions were met. So let's say you met the revenue uh, and you had 250,000 installs. You would be charged only for those extra 50,000 installs. So in this scenario, let's just say you are a free user You've made $200,000 and you've sold, well, you've sold <laughs> maybe 100,000 copies. We don't know because you have no idea of knowing how many times a person's going to install your game. But we'll talk about that in a second. Anyways, I'm just giving you ballpark numbers so you can kind of feel this out. The starting price per install was $0.20, cents, and it starts to go down with more installs or if you pay for Unity Pro. But yeah, those are all the numbers. Uh, and if we're looking at it, to be honest, from that perspective of a small-time indie developer, which is the perspective of most of the audience of this show, this is actually a good deal. If you're a solo indie dev and you hit the 200,000 revenue, 200,000 downloads threshold, you could just pay for Unity Pro, pushing the revenue threshold up to a million and the installs to a million, at which point you would be happy to be charged. The point is, if you're having to use this chart at all, you're doing a pretty good job as a solo in-dev. Most solo indie devs will operate under these numbers for every single game that they make in their entire career. Now, that being said, the idea of charging per install is ridiculous. And there's three core things that I think that are flawed with this. One, how does it really work? If someone buys my game and installs it, that counts as one, obviously. But when they remove it to make space on their computer and then reinstall it in the future, that counts as two, even though I didn't make another sale. So I'm being charged twice for that, but I didn't get paid twice. What's to stop someone from just setting up a script and reinstalling the game thousands of times? How does it work for game bundles or game pass? And what about pirated copies? The point is, is that there's lots of these questions about how exactly this would work. And this is where I think Unity really messed up initially. They didn't really make any of these edge cases clear. They just straight up didn't have answers, it felt like. And the transparency for how exactly it counted and worked basically came down to you just had to trust them. Like, if they mentioned how exactly it worked, then maybe we could answer some of these questions ourselves. But they didn't really have any answers for how exactly it worked, or they at least they were unwilling to share. You would think announcing a never-before-done next-generation license technology like this, uh, you would have, like, lots of answers ready for when the community would have questions. But no, it was total chaos and I think it was really poorly communicated. But poor communication can be clarified and fixed. Uh, what can't be fixed is my second problem with this, and that is the breach of trust, or at least it seems like it is. I say seems like because I'm still not totally sure if it was supposed to work like this, but basing one of the thresholds on lifetime installs means that this would have like a retroactive effect and it would change a deal someone had made with unity uh, before they even knew about this like if you made a popular game with unity two years ago and now it crossed these thresholds are you now having to pay per install based on a new fee that you did not agree to it just feels like you're changing the agreement and i saw some discussion on twitter about uh, people talking about if that's even legal to do i'm not sure it is I'm not a law expert, but it does certainly feel <laughs> kind of scummy. Even if it is legal, it feels wrong. It's a, it's a breach of trust, especially considering there's no way to verify. There's no transparency on how it works. It's just a new fee that's based on you trusting them that they're counting it right. 
to make it all a little bit even more shady, uh, some people have pointed out Unity has a GitHub where they keep the license on, and you can go there and look and see exactly what you agreed to. Like you can see what the license version was. Except for they like took them down, uh, the licenses, so you couldn't see them anymore. Right around the time of this announcement, or at least changed it. I don't know. The, the details of this are really fuzzy. But the fact that it was even in question, whether they're taking it down or updating it or what, what they're doing with it, I think it just shows that people do not trust Unity in the first place. If I had to guess, I bet it was not a malicious thing. It wasn't like Unity was planning on this or something. It was probably a little bit of the wider community not being trusting of Unity, which is totally fair. And I don't know, poor communication from a huge company that suffers from bloat or something on the other side. And I believe they're back up now, so maybe it was just a mistake or coincidence or something, but overall it left a lot of people with this feeling of a breach of trust and the license thing was just gasoline added to the fire. Not only did they poorly communicate in the first place, but from the outside looking in it seemed like they were actively trying to hide information. Now, to be fair, they've since clarified that this new fee will only be going into effect for the 2024 long-term support version of the editor, which means as long as you don't update your editor version to the newest one, then yeah, we won't have the situation where you made a game two years ago and now you're being charged for it unless you like made an update to the game with the newest version of Unity, which I think is, I think that's fair. It's kind of unclear to me if this was a clarification and how it was always supposed to work or if they changed it after a huge backlash they got from the game dev community. Uh, when I say a huge backlash, I mean huge. I don't think I've ever seen something so universally disliked in the game dev space. It was total pandemonium. But honestly, I think the pandemonium was mostly justified. And this brings me to my third and final negative about this whole thing, which is Unity wanted to try and charge game devs for something that they cannot track, they have no control over, and cannot verify that Unity even counted correctly. My third negative is just the principle of charging for something like that. There is no way that this count of installs was going to be 100% accurate while simultaneously counting all of the edge cases correctly from things like piracy and, I don't know, reinstall scripts and all these weird edge cases, free demos. This is just too much. I think pretty much everyone was in agreement, even Unity, <laughs> that there was no way they were going to count it 100% accurate. They even mentioned in tweets about how in cases of suspected fraud, like piracy or install bombing, that you could work with their customer service to work it out. But it was on you, the game dev, to make that case. They were going to charge you knowing it wasn't accurate, not providing any details or at least clearly communicating how exactly it was counted. And it was on you to prove if it was wrong, even though you have no, <laughs> no way of doing it because you don't know how the system works. This principle is what really made me have a personal negative reaction to this. I think um, a lot of people at Unity probably even saw this. They knew that this was going to be kind of received negatively, but I've seen this idea over and over coming from um, the way that Unity has been communicating this. They're saying, uh, well, this these changes won't affect like 90% of our developers. This is the idea that 90% of us are never going to have to pay these, like I said earlier when we were talking about the numbers. And even if you do, it's a pretty good deal, honestly. So I was, I'm betting that Unity knew, okay, we're announcing a new pricing thing. People are going to be upset anyways, which is the truth. People were going to be upset no matter what, just because, I don't know, it's just kind of a hostile <laughs> environment right now. But they were probably thinking, well, 90% of people are not affected by this. Um, and even if they are, like, if you look at the numbers, it's a pretty good deal. That's probably what they were thinking. And Unity has kind of confirmed this. They said that their target was not indie devs, but larger free-to-play games, or at least putting all the pieces of information together that seems like that is their stance. They were aiming at the bigger fish, and um, yeah, they just figured, well, it's not going to affect most people, so they'll be fine with it. 
But I'll explain why this stance doesn't work. And I think it really comes down to two things. Uh, the number one is the game development community is tight knit and supportive. Yes, it might not affect most of us, but the fact that there are these edge cases where, for instance, mobile devs who have large numbers of downloads but very low revenue per user, they could actually be bankrupted by the system. There were some really strange edge cases where the install fees were actually more than the amount they were making per user. If something terrible like that even exists for a small majority, people in the game dev community are not going to say, well, at least it's not me. They're going to see that and they're going to be upset even if it doesn't affect them. Because like I said, it's a small and tight-knit community and people just kind of have this mindset of if it's bad for the overall community, then it's bad for me. And the second reason that um, Unity's... I keep saying Unity's idea. I have no internal information, or I'm, I'm guessing this is what they were thinking. They were thinking the 90% of people it's not going to affect, so they'll be okay with it. But anyways, the second reason why that didn't work is I think Unity failed to understand that ultimately they're in the business of dreamers. This is something that I personally have come to learn while making good dev content. Um, yes, most people are not successful. Very few actually create something that is popular or generates meaningful revenue. But for many, it's about chasing the dream. Making a game is so hard, you have to be basically crazy to see it all the way through. And by crazy, I mean like extremely passionate. And while the money side of things might not drive everyone, most people dream of making a game that is at least popular, even if it is free. And what this announcement did was took all those people who see Unity as the tool they're going to use to chase this dream and they kind of tarnished it. And unfortunately, I think a lot of the tarnishing was just miscommunication. I saw people believing that the charge was with any install, no matter the revenue threshold. With people believing that, that would mean if you made a game with Unity and put it up on Itch for free and it got popular, you could achieve your dream and financially cripple yourself. Now, this idea was based on the miscommunication of how the thresholds worked. I want it to be clear that there are revenue thresholds. So hopefully you would not be charged by install unless you already made a good chunk of change. But the sentiment was still there. And because it was poorly communicated, it tarnished people's dream. People who aren't even in game dev uh, for making money, but they do want to make something popular. And it seemed like Unity was putting up this blocker for them. I think Unity forgot that they're in the business of crazy, passionate developers. They thought that the 90% of people who these changes do not affect and likely will never apply to wouldn't care. But in reality, for a lot of people, they just aren't in that top 10% yet. And Unity was the tool they were going to use to get there. Whether or not it was never going to apply to them uh, so they won't care doesn't matter it's what they believe and they believe that eventually it will apply to them so yeah i think uh, maybe unity forgot that anyways from all of that uh, i hope you can tell my opinion i'm definitely not the most uh fact accurate i'm not claiming to be the most uh, i'm not a journalist you know i think most people though have gotten the facts from better sources than me that's just a summary of what I thought happened and my opinion from it. If I had to sum it up all nicely for you, I would say as a solo indie dev, the fees and thresholds are actually a pretty good deal from like a math perspective. I would be lucky to have a game that qualified for those, but I disagree on principle with the idea of charging per install. And I think it's a abuse of trust. It's awkward. There's no way it accounts for all the edge cases and just a bunch of other negatives about it. Now, I do want to mention that Unity did make an update after the backlash, and I think they actually did a lot of good with this. Two of the biggest clarifications were, um, like I said before, the runtime fee is forward-looking, meaning you have to get the newer versions of the Unity editor for the runtime fee to start taking effect. So this kind of takes away that retroactively changing the deal negative. So that is a good thing. And the other one, which was even bigger for me, 
is that this metric is going to be self-reported. So yeah, in the update, they clarified, okay, we're going to do this self-reported. I think they are using the term clarified, but I'm pretty sure th this has changed uh, from how it was originally going to be. But either way, it's now self-reported. And they're no longer using the term install, but now using initial engagements. On the FAQ, an, an initial engagement is defined as the moment a distinct end user successfully and legitimately acquires, downloads, or engages with a game powered by the Unity runtime for the first time in a distribution channel. That sentence alone clears up a lot and addresses a ton of the concerns I had. This now becomes something that both Unity and I can verify and the language here is purposeful and it allows for a lot of edge cases. Noticeably, it says legitimate, meaning piracy doesn't count. For the first time, meaning reinstalls don't count. And yeah, I wish they would have just gone with this sentence in the first place. I think this would have been a million times better. They made a bunch of other clarifications. Um, things like you'll have the choice between paying the lesser amount between the initial engagement fee or a flat 2.5% of your revenue. So this accounts for those mobile dev situations where like with the engagement fee, your fees would be really high, but you can pick the choice, right? So now you can just say, well, if we measure by engagement fees, it's going to be really high. Let's just go with the two and a half percent revenue. Again, I think Unity with this update got it right. This is good. This is, I actually really like this. It's just a shame that they had to start with just a horrible first start to get here. There's a couple extra bonuses in here, like making the splash screen optional, which is the splash screen with Unity has been a long-term thing. Um, people have always said in the past that you should, when you go to release your game, you should um, pay for Unity so you don't have to show the splash screen. A lot of people wisely pointed out that that's kind of a marketing mistake on Unity's uh, Unity's end. Like it should be the other way around, uh, because that just means that all the bad asset flips games are the only ones with the Unity logo. So then people are like, "Wow, Unity games are terrible." When secretly there's all these great games, but they're just paying to hide the slash screen. But yeah, that's an old story. The point is now you can have the splash screen be optional. So looking at the second announcement, uh, the communication was good. The terms are great. Yeah, this was like, it basically required a knock it out of the park announcement uh, to save Unity <laughs> from this. And I think they did it. I, it's just crazy to me that this had to, uh, I don't know, we had to go through all of this horrible first part just to get to here. This second announcement is exactly what they needed to do the first time. The changes seem well thought out, well communicated, and fair. So in the end, I think this is actually a happy story. And I guess now is a good time to get into the wider context of all this. Personally, I think if you look at this moment and what happened from a long time or a long term wide view, uh, this worked out perfect for everyone except Unity. It's been no secret and we've talked before about Unity's profitability problems and look, I want Unity to be successful. As game devs, we need them to be uh, financially stable so that we they can continue to provide the awesome tool that they do. Don't get it wrong, Unity is my favorite game engine. It is a great tool. And it would be bad if the company behind this great tool was having financial problems. That would be bad. So we need them to be successful but we want them to become successful by supporting game devs. And that's not really what it's felt like for uh, at least a while. They've been acquiring all these other businesses. Their engine has gotten a little bit clunky with like a bunch of render pipelines. That <laughs> it's still like the joke of like, how does this material work? I don't know. What... <laughs> What engine are you running? What render pipeline are you on? Go down this 47-page checklist and we'll find out. Anyways, their financial problems have been uh, public for a while. I'm not surprised that they changed the monetization model. Their first pass idea they announced was terrible. But if you look at the end effects of what happened in the end, I think it really works out. We got a new monetization model. 
that's great for smaller indies and the majority of people who listen to this show. The pricing is very affordable, being free in pretty much all cases. And through a system of self-reporting, it's affordable to pay when you're in that good situation and you need to actually pay. On top of that, with this new model, I hope that Unity has a little bit better of a financial foundation and a way of charging those big fish that they're going for. If we look at other um, lessons learned from this moment, Unity and any other engine company was reminded of the strength and unification of the game dev community. There were conditions that we didn't like and we pushed back and we got what we wanted. This is a extremely pro-consumer situation. On top of that, a good chunk of people left Unity uh, for good. This was just sort of the last straw, and now they're pursuing other engines. And this means increased engine diversity and competition, which in the long run always works out better for consumers and game developers in this case. Look at how much support Godot has gotten since this, both financially but also just in terms of users. I think when you put this moment in a wider context, you see that this actually really worked out for game devs. Just to kind of sum up all the bonuses we got from this, um, Unity, although having a major setback, hopefully is set up for a stronger financial foundation in the future. Uh, there's more engine competition and diversity that kind of has come from this moment. And there's proof now that the game dev community is very tight-knit and strong. And the way I see it, something like this had to happen. And of all the possible scenarios, this was the best one, I think, for game devs. Because, like I said, this was going to happen. Uh, Unity had to change something. And there's a lot of weird what-ifs. What if Unity didn't change anything right now, kept losing money, and then were really desperate later in the year or next year and sold the company to EA? I don't know how <laughs> much of a what if, like, I don't know how likely that would be, but I'm glad that it didn't get to the point where they were so desperate that they would do something really dumb. I just want to insert some news real quick. This is, I guess, post-recording Zaccavelli, uh, but as of just now, I see that the CEO of Unity ha is retiring, I guess. I don't know if retiring is the right word, maybe stepping down, but John Riccitello, I think is how you say it, is out as CEO of Unity. This is just another thing to add to the good pile. Uh, I know he was not well-liked by a lot of people, not internally at Unity. I don't know anything about how they viewed him internally, but I can tell you from the outside looking in, the game dev community didn't really love him. Uh, definitely maybe based on his past and the things he said while he was at EA. I think his idea, <laughs> he had an idea out there. I've seen a clip of him talking about charging like for ammo in the middle of a battlefield game. I always kind of got the vibe that he was a very much a business first game developer thing. And I think there is a misalignment with the way he views game development and the majority of people who use Unity kind of goes back to that um, thing where Unity forgot that they're in the business of dreamers. And for a lot of people, it's their crazy passion for game development, not um, exciting revenue generation ideas that make them use Unity. So yeah, I've always felt that accountability starts at the top. And if this is John Riccitello being um, accountable for this misstep for Unity, I, I, res I respect that. This announcement was botched and Unity's reputation was harmed and someone had to be held accountable for that. So I guess if you're looking at this in the wide term view, uh, this is more evidence of this being a win. I guess it kind of depends on who replaces him, though. But anyways, back to the past, Zachavilli, <laughs> to finish the episode. Now, all this good news, I guess, or this... Um, I don't know, it's like a happy ending to the story, right? But unfortunately, it doesn't mean that this is over. Unfortunately, Unity is a publicly traded company. And I actually remember the exact moment when I read the headline that they were going to go public. 
and I was devastated. The reason I was was because uh, being a publicly traded company creates incentives not to be the best game engine, but to be a business with routine and unending growth. It incentivizes short-term decisions that seem to not line up with the original company's purpose. It's no longer about how do we slowly improve the engine and offer the best product in the long term. It's about how do we hit those growth targets next quarter. That's what I thought anyways when I heard the news, when I remember reading that headline about Unity going public. And sure enough, it feels like some of those fears have come to pass. And unfortunately, the publicly traded company thing about Unity hasn't changed. I think, though, that this moment served as a good reminder. And I said that I want you to leave this episode with more of a wide-view context of Unity. And if you walk away from the episode with one thing, just don't forget that they're a publicly traded company. For some things that's good, for other things that's bad, it's just something to think about when you're choosing them as your long-term tool. For the time being, though, all is well. Unity is a great engine. I think it's the best, actually, for most developers. And as of the newest information about their monetization model, it now has a fair and very affordable price. And now we know, and more importantly, they know, that when they announce changes to this model, if it's greedy, unfair, unclear, or just in general bad for developers... We're going to have something to say about it. And I think that's going to do it for today's episode. Pretty long episode today. We played Buff Debuff for a long time. I'm glad I caught up on some of those. Yeah, I hope this Unity current events thing was a good look. Like I said, I'm not the journalism super accurate um kind of guy, but I get the, I get the sense that most people who know about this or... Most people who are interested in this topic, you probably have already gotten all the facts about it. I'm pretty late to it, actually. Anytime there's a current event or opinion thing like this, I think you should go to other people. Don't just go to me for one viewpoint. Go to other people and make sure you're getting the whole picture here. Obviously, mine is going to be biased. I'm not claiming that it's unbiased. So yeah, just trying to do my due diligence and make sure that uh, (laughs) I'm not leading you astray. And with that, I think I'm going to sign off. I have been Zachavelli, looking forward to yet another new render pipeline, and I'll see you guys next time. Mm-hmm.